0: Good morning, and welcome back to Latin 3 class from the Church of St. Agnes. Today we will be covering the grammar that is contained in Unit 34, beginning on page 303 in the Collins book. The first matter uh, that Collins deals with in today's lesson is the irregular verb fio, fio fieri, Factus sum, which means to be made, to be done, to happen, to occur. And uh, it's an irregular verb, as mentioned. Um, the strange thing about it is that the first principal part looks like an active verb and is conjugated like one, but it's translated passive. Then you see we have an, a passive form in the infinitive and factus sum uh, in the perfect passive form. Uh, so it, it has sort of a mixed presentation in its principal parts. Um, the important thing is that this verb functions as the passive of the verb of facio faccio facio, facio facere feci factus. Um, there is no real passive form for instance of faci or in the present tense um that would be an anomaly and it would be a made-up form the romans instead used the verb "fio." um so that's really the important thing about this verb it is a very it's a very common verb and, and one that's quite important so you should really uh take note of its forms if you see at the bottom of the page um collins indicates the present imperfect and future indicatives Notice the present, fio, fis fit, fiemus, fetus, fiunt, the imperfect fie, bomb, and so forth. And the future, like a third conjugation, fiam, fies, fiet, right? Um, then on the next page, you see the subjunctive in the present. Uh, we hear a liar, friar, so the present subjunctive has the IA, fiam, fias, fiat. You might remember the... The uh, expression in Latin, fiat lux, which God commanded in Genesis, let there be light, let light be made, let light become. And in the imperfect, um, formed from an imagined infinitive, fiere, we add fierem, fieres, "fiaret," and so on. Now, the full conjugation of that verb is in your morphology section in the back of the book, uh, beginning on page 402. So I would encourage you to review that full form. And I don't think you'll have too much trouble recognizing when this verb occurs. Um, It, as I say, is uh, basically the passive form of the verb faccio and very important. Collins makes a note that fio is not really compounded much at all if it, at all uh, we have many compounds of the verb facio which uh, often then will uh, undergo an aval change so you see on page um, 302 he talks about <clears throat> down at the bottom simple verb facio i make passive fio i am made compound verb aficio from a facio Uh, which means I make a feature. I am made, formed regularly in the passive. Okay, so uh, that's another irregular verb for you to take note of and familiarize yourself, please, with all the forms. Um, You can find those, again, on the morphology section, starting in page 402. Now, the second point of grammar that Collins brings up uh, in this unit are cardinal and ordinal numbers on pages three hundred four and three hundred five? Again, these won't be too difficult for you. Look on page three hundred five. You see the cardinal numbers: unus, duo, tres, quattuor, quinque, sex, septem, octo, novem, decem. Un. Notice what happens in eleven: Un decem, One and ten. Duo decem. Notice the e in decem turns to an i in the last syllable. Tre decim, quator decem, decem, se decem, septen decem. And then look what happens in 18. Instead of adding on, they subtract. Duo de viginti, two from 20. Un de viginti, one from 20 is 19. And then viginti is 20. And then once you get into the 20s, 30s, and 40s, you do the 20 or the 30 or the 40 plus one. Viginti unus and viginti duo and so on. Uh, so I think uh, as you get down to the quinquaginta and sexaginta and septuaginta, you might remember septuag- is the, uh, sexagesima sandi and septuagesima sandi. Um, yes, uh, those are all Latin numbers. The ordinals are uh, declined like adjectives. Take a look. Primus aum, secundus aum, tertius aum, and so forth. I don't think you'll have difficulty... And spotting those numbers, if you know any Romance languages uh, like Spanish or Italian, uno, dos, tres, and so on, you know that they, those numbers are taken directly from uh, Latin, and they're very close. One point is that the first three numbers in Latin are declined. Uh, we know unus, una, unum already. The genitive is that irregular unius and the date of uni. So we know one. One, of course, doesn't have a plural. Look at 2 on page 304. Duo, due, duo. Duorum, 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 duobus, 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 and so on. That is decline. 2 obviously doesn't have a singular, right? And the number 3 is decline. Tres, tria, like a two-ending adjective. Trium, trium, tribus, tribus, tres, tria, tribus, tribus, and so on. The, fo- the numbers following 3, that is the cardinal numbers are not declined. They're indeclinable. Um, the ordinals, as I said, are declinable, and they are like bonus outlaw uh, um, adjectives. So uh, again, not, nothing too new or serious, I think. Uh, there is an interesting point made by Collins on the top of page 305. Um, you can see that he says cardinal and ordinal numerals are adjectives. Tres episcopi means three bishops. Tertius episcopus means the third bishop, right? That's an ordinal. And um, although uh, there is a partitive idea with cardinal numbers, and they sometimes will, you will see a partitive genitive after one of the numbers. Numbers, especially unus, are most often expressed through the use of de or ex plus the ablative tres de episcopis, or trace ex episcopis, three out of the bishops. Instead of trace episcoporum, right, three of the bishops, it's usually expressed in Latin with de or ex plus the ablative. So just be aware of that little uh, twist. It's uh, very common in Latin with numbers to have the de or ex, three. Uh, we say three of the bishops in English Latin would often, most often say Trace X or De Episcopis. Okay. Um, uh, On section 170 on page 306, Collins talks about impersonal verbs. These are verbs that appear in the third person singular, and they're called impersonal because they don't have a person as the subject or the agent doing the action. Um, they are often in the passive, but there are several that occur uh, just by themselves, and they can occur uh, not only in the present tense but in other pre- uh, in other tenses. And here's a list of many of the most common impersonal verbs: uh, auditor, it is heard; um, convenit, it is fitting; it is fitting, and then something to for something to happen dicitur it is said, it was said, it is said by men of old, and so on. Lichet, it is permitted, very important, very important verb. It is permitted and then f- commonly followed by the infinitive. Plachet, it is pleasing. Plachet um, is, of course, a, a, a positive vote, we know that in English, uh, or affirmative vote but Placet literally means it is pleasing. Uh, videtur, it seems, it seems good, it seems best. Oportet, it is ne- it is proper, um, very important. It is proper to do something. <clears throat> and necesse est, it is necessary. It is necessary that something happen, it is necessary to do something. So these are impersonal verbs. There are others in, in Latin. Um, they they generally are translated by the uh, by it is something or other uh, so it doesn't have a person as the subject. Now there's also a strange idiom in Latin that um, use impersonal passive forms for something that we would never do in English. Take a look at uh, the middle of the page there. The two examples that Collins gives: "Chenatum est." From cenō, cenari to eat to dine, Latin will turn that into the passive, particularly in the um, in the uh, past tense, and say uh, something like cenatum est. It was dined. Very peculiar. Or ventum est. It was come from venio. There was a coming. In other words, people came or people dined. One of the most common ones in classical Latin you find in the writings of Julius Caesar, uh, who describes of course the, the Gallic Wars and the uh, Civil War and he will say something like pugnatum est acriter. It was fought, it was battled uh, acriter uh, fiercely. In other words, there was a fierce fight. Um, Latin has this idiom to use an impersonal passive form with certain verbs like that. So just watch for that. It doesn't happen very often at all, but uh, it is a peculiar idiom and one that will uh, crop up here and there. Um, He also mentions at the bottom of the page a curious uh, Hebraic idiom, factum est, it happened that, it came to pass that, it was done that, factum est. And that is a, a pretty common one in um, ecclesiastical writing. Notice uh, the example at the bottom of the page. "Factum est autem cum hec diceret, And it happened that when he was saying these things, so-and-so happened. So, <clears throat> so <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Factum est will occur quite often uh, as a kind of um, uh, impersonal use, meaning it happened that and something will follow. Okay, and then in this uh, in, in this chapter, to complete the grammar for this unit, Collins, uh, as we talked about earlier, presents a summary. He has first a summary of the uses of the genitive case, and then on the next page, a summary of the uses of the dative case. <clears throat> you know these already. Now let's just take a quick look at them, run through them one more time, it's a, it's a useful review. So uh, the first use of the genitive, the genitive of possession. And this is, of course, the most common. Libri puerorum, the books of the children or the children's books. So it to show possession, right? Remember, we normally translate the genitive of something. So the books of the children are of the boys, the boys' books. Then we have the genitive of description or what I sometimes call the genitive of characteristic homines, bone voluntatis. These are people of good will, right? It's a genitive of characteristic or describing the persons. People of good will. Um, we've seen subjective and objective genitives, and Collins likes to put them in the same, in, in use with the same noun. That's a very rare, you don't see that very often, but in any case, we have dei delectio the love of God or God's love, right? Meaning his possession, that's the subject of genitive. And then it's God's love of human beings, hominum. Dei dilectio hominum means God's love of humans. Um, And hominum there is the object of genitive because it's the object of the love, right? So we have both genitives in that one phrase. As I say, that won't occur very often in Latin because it can get confusing. But I think you can see you you could say the love of God, and that would be an objective genitive, our love of God. But here it's God's love, the love of God for human beings, God's love for or of human beings. Then we have the partitive genitive. We've seen that many times with words like satis uh, or uh, a great deal of something or satis chibi enough of food right that's a common one uh, pars civitatis part of the city most commonly the partitive genitive will be used with the ver- with the word pars which means part of course so part of the city pars civitatis um, we have the uh, what he calls the predicate genitive which is almost like uh, a genitive of characteristic or uh, description. He is the man is of sound mind. He is a man of sound mind. The man is of sound mind, right? And uh, we know that certain adjectives take the genitive, not a lot of them, but there are notable ones like memoir verbs that, that words that denote remembering often. Take the genitive, memor petri, mindful, being mindful of Peter. Potens daimoni orum, daimoni orum, having the power, the powerful over evil spirits, right? And then the genitive after certain verbs. Again, not too many, but verbs of pitying. Uh, for instance, misere or tui, I pity you. I have mercy, or I take pity on you. And then there are other uh, occasional uses like causa plus a preceding genitive, right? Um, and that means for the sake of, and sometimes after comparatives and superlatives. So that's a good list of all the genitives that we've encountered. And on the next page, you see <clears throat> and Collins includes a summary of the uses of the dative case. And again, it will be useful to run through these. Uh, As he notes there, the dative case is used in general to denote the person interested or affected by the verbal action. And we can see how that will play out in our examples. The first one is the dative of possessor or the dative of possession. Quid est tibi nomen. What is the name to you, literally? what? Is the name to you or in reference to you? Uh, what is your name? Right? You can turn it around and say, You have uh, what name? Um, the dative of possession, normally with the verb to be, the possessor in the dative, and the thing possessed um, in the nominative. Okay. Dative of indirect object, that's our most common use and the one we see and we learn first. Two or four with, uh, generally with verbs of giving or entrusting. Petrus hoc ok dated. Peter gave this to me. Peter to me gave this. Um, that's uh, that's a, a dative, mihi. Um, then we have the dative of reference, which can sometimes be broken down as a dative of advantage or disadvantage. Jesus eis peccata dimisit. Jesus dismissed or forgave the sing, sins, eis, in reference to them. To those people, Jesus d- forgave or dismissed their sins. Or deo et hominibus pecavi, he has sinned uh, against or in reference to God and men or people. And, of course, that would be the date of disadvantage, <laughs> um, yes. Then we have the dative of personal agent with the passive periphrastic. Remember, personal agent in Latin is most commonly expressed by a or ob plus the ablative. But when we use the passive periphrastic construction, that's the gerundive plus the verb to be, then the dative of agent is used without a preposition. So we have this example sentence, which is a good one. Hymnus nobis cantandus est. A hymn cantandus est must be sung or ought to be sung, nobis, by us. Notice, nobis in the dative, no preposition, unlike a and obv with the ablative, with normal agency. So a hymn must be sung by us, or we ought to sing a hymn. You can turn it around, make it uh, active if you want in your English. But notice nobis in the dative. Then the dative of purpose, um, you will be eritis for the purpose of hatred to them. That's the dative of purpose and the dative of uh, reference. And when we combine those two, you have my favorite construction of the double dative. Yes. So, eis is the dative of reference in the double dative construction. You will be for the purpose of hatred in reference to them (laughs) you can't really uh, talk like that in english but it's a beautiful idiom in latin it occurs quite commonly and uh, it's very elegant you will be to them for the purpose of hatred right that's the double dative and that's odio there is the dative of purpose and then of course we have the dative with certain adjectives the father Patri, filius patri similis est, the father is similar or like unto the, or the son, I'm sorry, is similar or like unto the father. Uh, the dative with certain verbs, uh, credunt, credo often takes the dative, most often, credunt evangelio, they believe in the gospel. Uh, often we will get a dative with one of those new impersonal verbs, non it it is not permitted in reference to you, it is not permitted for you, abire, to leave. And then when verbs are compounded and their essential meaning changes, they often take a dative. So we have the verb protest from the word prosum, which means to be an, a profit or an advantage from the verb sum and pro. Quid mihi protest, what does it profit me? What profit is it to me? Or up on the next page, modis antiquis in herebant. They were clinging to ancient ways. Okay, so that's a good summary of the dative cases. We've had all of them. We've encountered all of them. You'll see them again, uh, especially in our exercises coming up, but it's a a nice uh, quick review for you. The genitive and dative cases. So that, uh, that really takes care of uh, the grammar for our unit 34. So you have your irregular verb feel, All of the forms of the verb are on page 402. Take a look at them, study them. Uh, that verb uh, is an important verb, and it will occur often. Uh, we've got some ordinal and cardinal numbers, which shouldn't present too much of a problem for you um especially if you know as i say uh any romance language they are uh they are taken from latin so therefore you will be able to uh recognize the latin uh word uh numbers and then we have uh a list of impersonal verbs that idiomatic use of uh, passive uh, impersonal verbs and then our review summary of genitive and dative cases um You will see on page 309, again, you have a hefty vocabulary uh, with words that have uh, many compounded verbs like kado, but uh, there are important verbs there, and he, in this chapter, gives you several of those impersonal verbs like ličet down at the bottom of page 309 and placet in the left-hand column. Uh, about the middle of the page from the verb plateau, um and so on. So uh, study your vocabulary, take a look at it. And um, then for our homework, I will tell you what I'd like you to do for uh, this next week. So starting on page 311, we have drills on the irregular verb theo. Let's do those six sentences. Drills number one the irregular verb feel, right? Those so six, sentence, six sentences just so that we get a feel for the way that verb is used. Um, then in our exercises, uh, down at the bottom of the page and a couple pages following, uh, take out your pens and uh, circle these numbers. These are the ones I'd like you to do. Number two, five, eight 11, 12, 14, 15, 18, 19, 21, 23, 24, 25, 26, 28, 29, 31, 34, 40, 41, 45, 48, 50, 53, 54, 56, 59, and 62. Uh, he gives 64 sentences in this one. A long a lot of practice for you if you choose to do all of them. Let's go back and say those numbers one more time. 2, 5, 8, 11, 12, 14, 15, 18, 19, 21, 23, 24, 25, 26, 28, 29, 31. 34, 40, 41, 45, 48, 50, 53, 54, 56, 59, and 62. So that will give you plenty of practice on the exercises, the sentences. There are many more there. If you would like to do them on your own, please do. more practice, the better you get. And for our readings, let's do number one. The conversion of Saul from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9. We won't do number two, uh, the little hymn by St. Bonaventure, but we will do the first reading, the conversion of St. Paul, or uh, the conversion of Saul, who becomes St. Paul. Very good. Um, So, again, uh, as we uh, come closer and closer to the uh, end of our grammar, uh, you can see that. Collins is simply catching up on a few odds and ends, adding some interesting, but not too significant points of grammar and doing some review. So uh, that completes our unit 34. And um, I'm wishing you uh, good luck with that. Please don't hesitate to write uh, on email if you have any questions. Uh, Do your work and we'll be back uh, in a few days with uh, another recording on the exercises for this unit. Have a great day. Bye-bye.